The Bakari Sellers Podcast tackles the most pressing current events through conversations and interviews with high-profile guests. Building upon his experience in South Carolina government and politics and his experience as a lawyer, Sellers will talk to his guests about all topics from the world of politics. Check out the Bakari Sellers Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. David, I almost hate to bring this up because I don't want to be that guy. As a media critic, you know, you are kind of that guy, but I try to avoid it as much as possible. But on football weekends, David, I'm reading social media, I'm reading Twitter and every person, which is to say every sports media professional in my Twitter feed seems to have a favorite team. And every sports media person is doing that minute by minute rendition of living and dying with their favorite team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is incredible. This is terrible. Everything is fine, etc. You know the drill. Yeah. Now, as you know, I don't have a problem with sports writer fandom. You of all people. Yeah. Our boss is Bill Simmons. Us of all people. So if I'm okay generally with sports writer fandom, can I still feel that not everybody has to be a fan? And that when we look at Twitter on football weekends or basketball weekend, baseball, whatever you want to say, that maybe it feels like everyone's kind of doing the same bit at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to argue with you. You know, it's funny because for me, I'm I'm like, I'm so used to it from football writers you know for writers of of the sport in question i guess basketball is a little bit more you know fan of the sport for the most part um but i so many of the football writers that i follow have rooting interests and that's fine like you said it does feel a little bit redundant but i think what's what I what I'm always what I'm noticing more and more is people that don't have that aren't football writers but are sports journalists of other sorts are like doing that in real time on Sundays as loudly as anybody else, right? It's <laughs> it's almost like it's almost as if expressing your credentials as a sad sack Bengals fan or whatever is a good way to you know gin up some traffic or some some follows. Yes. And I think that's what it is, right? It's, you know, if you're like Mr. Neutral, I am, you know, a 10,000 foot journalist, there's only so much traction you can get from that on social media. Yeah. But if I'm an emotionally addled, oh my gosh, over the top fan of a certain team, then people go, oh, that, that person's a lot like me. It's true. And, and I guess when you say it that way, it's if you're going to be tweeting in volume, you know, diehard fandom is sort of better than the alternative, right? Because we've, you and I have joked before about watching a sporting event. It happens a lot in like fights where like your entire timeline is consumed with just real time play by play. And the the last <laughs> thing you would need on an NFL Sunday is to turn on Twitter and see every writer, every football writer that you follow being just like, oh, that was a tough first and out for the Browns or you know, whatever. You know, you just, you don't need unbiased nonstop reaction. The, the the bias is actually what makes it somewhat palatable. Mm-hmm. But I, your 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 word redundant is really good. 
Mm-hmm. Because again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, upset ethically or something. I don't think somebody who's a fan can't do just as good a job covering a sport or a team as anybody else. I don't see any evidence of that. I just kind of feel we've gotten to a point where it's just a lot. It's yeah. just a lot. And it all kind of sounds the same. It's almost like the AP issued guidance. Okay. Young uh, football writer. You're going to need to have a team that you ride with and you're going to need to just there, there can't be a Sunday where you don't squeeze that for something like that's, you just, you just have to do that. That is part of the, part of the game here. Mm-hmm. It's and true. I'm just kind of, uh. well, listen, you know, we talk in other forms of media all the time about how no one's ever truly just morally or ethically ambivalent, right? Everybody has a point of view and you have to sort of establish that before you can be unbiased, right? You, if you if you pretend that you're real, hundred percent unbiased, you can't really be unbiased. Then maybe this is just putting that out there in a way that you know political <laughs> reporters would be more yeah. would be would be better off. To- <laughs> I need a level with my audience. I need to put on this this Philadelphia Eagles uh, sweatshirt and take pictures of myself to level with my audience. It, listen and 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 turn on. ESPN or anything else, all those NFL shows, it, the thing where you used to rag on your co-host for being a diehard Seahawks fan and them losing, that used to be that used to be in the territory exclusively of podcasts. Now it's all over television it's too. Everything. So that's you know having a having a, a team that someone else can make fun of you about without actually having to make fun of you. That's a that's just a part of where we are, man. It's very handy for content. Mm-hmm. It's very handy. It's very handy as an identifier. Okay, that's this person. That's the Bengals person. That's the Packers person. I'm just, I, I'm just kind of full up. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to divert some people over to the side of, hey, I'm just going to be a dispassionate person on Sunday. <laughs> I'm just going to go back. I'm trying to, you know, I'm, uh, I'm the New York Times in 1979 person on Sunday. Sure, you know, just kind of some interesting <laughs> games, and I'd like to have some analysis of the so game. So f- follow at Brian Curtis for your weekly <laughs> dose of. Christian McCaffrey for reception for 15 yards. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's the thing, right? I'm, I'm like, I, you know, how pop off with a Cowboys tweet and a Longhorns tweet every once in a while, but like Cowboys got just throttled by the Broncos on Sunday. Just close the, close the computer, put the phone away. It's okay. <laughs> okay. To take a week off. Is that what this is? Is this too many sad sack Cowboys fans or just excited sports writer Broncos fans that were in your mentions yesterday? Is that, is that, is that where this is coming from? I'm not going to deny that was part of it. And and (laughs) probably partly also a confession. I remember the critic Steve Metcalf once said somebody was a symptom pretending to be a diagnosis. (laughs) This is me being as, as a symptom, trying to be a diagnosis. Don't just, just do what I say. Don't actually do what I do. Friends coming up on today's pod, Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID and is unvaccinated. How does that news jibe with Aaron Rodgers as a media figure of fascination? Plus Tucker Carlson and the rewriting of January 6th. All that more in the press box, a part of the ringer podcast network. Media consumers, Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. Huge story in the NFL last week, David. Aaron Rodgers, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers and reigning NFL MVP, tested positive for COVID-19. Moreover, we learned that Aaron Rodgers opted not to take the COVID vaccine. 
a decision he says put him, quote, in the crosshairs of a woke mob. Woo! When I heard that phrase, I couldn't help but think of your commentator on Sunday afternoon talking about the defensive ends pinning their ears back. You can't <laughs> let those guys pin their ears back. Mm-hmm. It was the woke mob pinning their ears back for Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Uh, tons of ringer stuff on all this, by the way, including a really good piece last week by Nora Princiati. But here with you, if we can, I would love to try to connect Aaron Rodgers, the guy who was defending his COVID decision last week on a podcast, right? To Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback whose words we and the media have been hanging on pretty much nonstop, but especially for the last year and change. Okay. How do we describe what has made Aaron Rodgers such a figure of media fascination? That's a good question. I mean, there's a real, uh, this is going to sound corny, but there's a real, uh, within the media, it feels like there's a real humanity attributed to Aaron Rodgers that that a lot of, that he, maybe he's accessible both literally and figuratively in a way that a lot of other athletes of his level are not. Um, you know, Kevin Clark on the, at the ringer has written stories about him, the the books that he reads and the movies that he's watched and whatever else, you know, I mean, there's, there's a real, like, he he's very open about sort of his real life side. And there's also the, the, you know, squabbling with his team kind of, you know, backbiting, whatever else dating back to his draft being drafted by the, by the Packers. That is not unusual, but I think it's been, but he's always been given an unusual sort of pass isn't the right word, but we've just, I think people in general have just been sort of, have sort of felt like it was understandable as when he was, when he's been dissatisfied with his team. And I mean, being a, you know, auditioning for the, being the host of Jeopardy certainly didn't help his case in terms <laughs> of like, he's one of us, you know, like it, it's, I, I think that calculated or no, I think that he's, he he holds a very specific place, uh, you know, in terms of media fascination, which is that he's not one of us, but he's sort of like what one of us would be if we were gifted with that sort of arm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. There's the ironic T-shirts or the sort of pop culture T-shirts, one of mm-hmm. which he was wearing on Pat McAfee's podcast on Friday, the, the Tombstone Doc Holiday shirt. Mm hmm. There's the pop culture Game of Thrones stuff you mentioned uh, that Kevin Clark has written about. Yeah. There's well, just like, I mean, it's the the man bun. I mean, people talk about his like hairstyle choices sort of derisively, but it's it's a it's the way that you talk about somebody that you know. It's a way that you talk about like somebody your friend's dating or something, you know? It's like it's a very it's a very under it's a very understandable sort of personality. And is that just because he's been so available? for interviews where the kind of top tier quarterback, super famous championship winning athlete of his tier is just not available nearly as much that we come to those conclusions. I mean, there's probably a lot of, you know, psycho babble that could go into this, but I think that it's, there's, that's a part of it. I think there's being, but I think it's what I think it's, it's, there's a literal and figurative aspect to it. I think he's available. And obviously people get to interview him and stuff, but I just think he's sort of, he just seems available. He seems like he's being honest. He seems like he's someone that you would know. And I think that that goes a long way as far, you know, in terms of earned media, you know? 
Totally. I think it's like the manner. Of I think speak- that's, by the way, I think that says everything you need to know about sort of the, you know, the writer. I mean, the people that are covering him too. I mean, it's not, and it's not a knock. It's just like, he seems like a dude that you might, that you might know. He doesn't seem like someone who's at least. And when you read the interview, he doesn't come off as someone who's a sports robot or something, you know? Yes. I think also the manner of speaking is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's very downbeat a little bit when he talks, he does not have that Peyton Manning, like, you know, super fast, me and my brother Eli, you know, way of talking. It's kind of more downbeat. It sounds a little more thoughtful. Like he's, you know, there's something there and he's kind of talking really slowly and and sort of interestingly. I mean, I thought the, those Pat McAfee interviews that he started last year and is still doing this year mm-hmm. are pretty wild. I almost think it's like the Bill uh, Kevin Durant thing where it's so incredible that people have now underrated it. Oh, just, yeah. They just got used to it. And you're like, he's basically delivering a, you know, the equivalent of a magazine profile or at least a mini profile every week mm-hmm. on a podcast. And, you know, whenever one of those drops at the beginning of the season, we're all like, oh man, look, look at this amazing uh, NFL profile. And he's just doing that every week. Yeah. And talking about kind of a lot of stuff and, you know, sort of leaning into controversial topics a lot of the time. And it just seems like, again, I'm like, what, you know, let's list the top tier athletes who are talking that much in an uncontrolled environment, even if he's friendly with McAfee and addressing that many topics every week. It's a pretty short list if there's even anybody else on it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess that's sort of the perception of accessibility, not the perception, the reality of it. I mean, when you read a profile of an athlete, if you're not reading the morning paper and they're in, in the local market every day, it probably seems like the only time that quarterback whoever speaks to the media is when they, you know, open up, uh, <laughs> or break their silence to a writer for Sports Illustrated or ESPN or The Ringer or whatever else. You know, I mean, that's kind of the only time you hear that voice. Um, yeah, and if you pop up on the regular on a giant platform like Pat, Pat McAfee's show. Um, and you just are willing to chill out and talk, you know, about, about anything for at, at length at volume that definitely puts you in a different sort of stratosphere. Yeah. And you seem to actually enjoy talking. Yeah. Like, but you I don't think have that, it. isn't that it? Doesn't everybody, I mean, not everybody, but I mean, half of the players in the NFL probably would enjoy talking. Most of them would probably enjoy talking on Pat McAfee's show. I mean, it takes you know, Rogers is obviously very has a level of fame and, and, you know, point of view that, that is, that makes him sort of perfect for that. But it's the perception that everybody's so tight lipped, you know, they don't want to mess with their, with their image or they, they don't like, they don't like members of the media. They don't care about fans. I mean, this is, these are perceptions that we have based on little or nothing, but Aaron Rodgers certainly like puts the light of that as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Well, I just think when you view it against that, either the reality of quarterbacks, not talking that much or our perceptions of it, he becomes the reigning heavyweight champion, restless mind of the NFL sort of by default. Yeah, absolutely true. Because you're judging him on the merits of what he says, but you're also judging it against the absence of any other similar tier superstar engaging with those topics really at all that's exactly right. Yeah. There's not really much to compare him to. Also just tons of Aaron Rodgers news over the last couple of years. There's the brother family thing. Mm -hmm. There's the relationships off the field, which have been Mm -hmm. covered a lot. 
over the last year. So he almost makes the Super Bowl last year with the Packers. He throws 48 touchdowns and five interceptions and wins the MVP last year. This offseason, he wants the Packers to trade him. And that news arrives on our doorstep in the middle of the NFL draft. There's this whole sort of very passive aggressive back and forth. The Packers don't trade him and refuse to trade him, Mm -hmm. but pretty much decide this is going to be his last year in Green Bay. And then he finally shows up and there's this whole kind of last dance vibe Mm -hmm. to this season in Green Bay. And so then, of course, we're all now we're stoking the fires of the transactions column. Mm -hmm. Is Aaron Rodgers going to Denver? Is yeah, are they going exactly. to trade him within the conference? Is he going to go play for Kyle Shanahan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, w- listen, we have that so that level of fascination with a lot of our star players, but certainly in terms of, yeah, I mean, his putting himself out there and the way that he's received, there's very few people on that th- that are like him. And as Nora Princiati wrote last week, one of the lessons of the story should be that Aaron Rodgers' critical thinker is a character worth viewing skeptically. Case in point, David, let me take you to August. Mm. When reporters were asking Aaron Rodgers whether he had been vaccinated, because beat writers and reporters were asking this to just about everybody. This was an extremely practical question to be asking to football players. Aaron Rodgers will then will say this last Friday that this is personal. This is very invasive. They're trying to out people. Okay. But it was a very practical question that they were asking lots and lots of football players. Mm -hmm. Here is what Aaron Rodgers said at the time. Yeah, I've been immunized. Um, You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation around it, around the league and a lot of guys who have made statements and have made statements, owners who made statements. Um, you know, there's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. Uh, I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. So clearly (laughs) he is trying not to answer the question. Have you been vaccinated? Yeah. I mean, at the risk of reading way, 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 way too much into it. When you listen back to it, it almost seems like he, he had planned to say something if not the truth, something that was more deliberate and backed out at the last minute, mm. you know, it, like, but, but again, we, we heard what we heard. It's on tape. We did not, we don't really need to know much more than that. Yeah. I mean, and he, in this McAfee interview, he gave another very long, again, very, you know, info packed. If some of the info was wrong interview to Pat McAfee about his decision. And one of the things he said was that, the media or anybody who's trying to find out about vaccination status wants to quote shame and out and cancel all of us vaccinated people. That was the contention. Now to that, I would say one football players get asked about their health all the time. This is one of the things that nobody is asking David, how his ACL feels this week. Well, nobody that I know of, but (laughs) football players and athletes get asked about this stuff all the time. There's a certain level of privacy that you just give up when you're in one of these endeavors. Sure. The other part of this is there is an exceedingly, as I said, practical part of this, which is there are different rules in the NFL for vaccinated players versus unvaccinated players. If Aaron Rodgers had been vaccinated and gotten COVID, he just needs two negative tests within a 24 hour period. And then he can play again. 
as long as he doesn't have symptoms. If you are an unvaccinated player and you get COVID, you are out 10 days the end, mm-hmm. which makes him playing not only missing last Sunday's game where they lost to the Chiefs, but maybe even missing next Sunday's game a possibility. Right. So, there's re- so it actually is important to know the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. Now, I mean, I think that I agree with everything that you've said. I mean, this is obviously, I think, yes, as a professional athlete, you put yourself in a position to be opened up and uh, to the sort of scrutiny and everything else. I, I think that we can all kind of agree with that in the abstract. And I think on the specifics, you know, even amongst our listeners, your mileage may vary as to where exactly that line should be drawn, not where it is drawn, but... um. Yeah, I mean this is this is a this is a very specific situation where it almost politics or whatever personal personal beliefs aside the most significant thing here is the unreliable narrator, right? I mean just the fact that he's deliberately blurring the line. And again, I mean not again, I mean if if you want to spin it forward, if blurring the line had been the point, if that had been what his if that had been the sort of cornerstone of his of his speech on McAfee's show you know uh, there might be something there to respect but he did but that's not it's not true right he what he did was lie and then when asked to explain himself just said a bunch of other stuff yeah and I'll also when when you talk about your mileage may vary how about the mileage of the reporters who are interviewing Aaron Rodgers indoors and Aaron Rodgers yeah. is not wearing a mask in those situations mm-hmm. as mandated. He says on the McAfee show, well, uh, you know, I followed all the NFL protocols, but I didn't follow that one because I didn't believe in it. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, did anybody ask them, those reporters, yeah. uh, you know, what we, if, if they got the sign off on that one, it's hard, it's hard to not th- feel like that's a, well, it's deliberate obviously, but that there's sort of a, lowercase p political aspect to that right because like you can you you know you can think that a mask mandate at a store is stupid but you still put the mask on out of courtesy to everybody else in the store right even if you think the store even if you think that the store is full of it there's still other customers to think about right and it's not it's frankly a lot easier to keep your head down doing that you know if you just want if you're just you know trying to get by Aaron Rodgers could have very easily masked up for those interviews and just said, eh, abundance of caution. You know, he did, it didn't need to be a political statement and it, it was only a political statement. I mean, it was a political statement by not doing it, I guess, but it's only in retrospect that it had any meaning. So that means that makes it just feel reckless. Like I said, Nora ran down a lot of the things he said in this interview, talked about taking ivermectin, uh, talked about taking various homeopathic remedies uh, said the words, if the vaccine is so great, then how come people are still getting COVID and spreading COVID? One of the contentions. But I think this was the quote that popped out to me. There have been conversations with it. I, I would, you know, add this to the mix as an aside. But the great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. In my opinion, it makes no sense for me. I test every single day, every single day. So we play in Arizona on Thursday. We come back, guys leave for the weekend. I don't. We test every single day. Whew. 
Um, I don't even know where to do what to do with this. Yeah, uh, I don't really either. If it was, if it okay, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. As soon as he talked about being in the crosshairs of a woke mob, it it was no surprise that he just started quoting ML MLK like inaccurately and borderline facetiously. I mean, that sort of seems to come with the territory, but it also feels like. I mean, we can all agree for a million different reasons that that quotation was wrong and wrongheaded and did not do him any favors. It did not help him in the way he certainly meant to. But man, I mean, if I'm just going to sit here and be snarky, like if I needed any more evidence that he was just like Googling arguments five minutes before the interview, it's that he was clearly Googling famous person quotes to back him up at the same time right before he came on. I mean, it was it's just... Quotes so, about disobeying laws. Yeah, it's just so lame. I mean, it's just so. It just shows this is it shows such a lack of real interest in the subject. You know, I mean, and just I mean, I mean, the civil rights movement above and above all else, but even about the notion of civil disobedience and whatever he thinks the politics of what's going on with COVID right now are. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's the real. That's what you see in a lot of the writing about it, the reaction to what to this interview is that it's this like huge amount. It's this huge wave of disappointment, you know, for as the person that we talked about at the top of the segment the person who, who is seems like somebody you might know and like somebody who's like interests align with yours outside of football. And it seems like a sort of, you know, smart person that you would like to have a beer with whatever the cliche for him to just be, just so utterly the opposite of that during the context of this interview is just it it just it just floors you you sent me this tweet from nbc's ben collins who covers the self-described dystopia beat over there we love ben yeah he writes it would be impossible to drop a more stereotypical anti-vaxxer argument than the one being outlined by aaron Rodgers. For someone who believes he's a critical thinker, he sounds identical to every old lady in my Ivermectin Facebook groups and Q Telegram channels. So there's that. I was also, David, really interested in the Aaron Rodgers COVID media takes, second order media takes, I guess I should say. One is we actually got a like Terry Bradshaw destroys Aaron Rodgers style headline out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Bradshaw just going off on him on Fox NFL Sunday. I don't know if you want to hear. Let, let's go ahead and play that because when else are we going to get Terry Bradshaw destroys X? Here we go. I, one, I give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he'd have just come to the Naval Academy and learn how to be honest. Yeah. Learned, learned not to lie because that's what you did, Aaron. You lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff that would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. We are a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation on the COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we've got players that pretty much think only about themselves. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. Kind of a great example of a wrestling cheap pop at the beginning of that. <laughs> You want to learn something about honesty? Maybe you should come here to the Naval Academy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell him, Terry. Yeah, it's. I mean, that really just gets to it, right? I mean, you don't have to be 
on one side or other of the politics of the situation to be like, I mean, to, to, to focus in on the fact that he was just misleading everybody. Right. And it does, if he actually did care about the, the ethical conundrum here or, or, or government oppression or whatever else, the move wasn't to just like lie for six months. <laughs> you know, it would have been to, it would have been to just, you know, take a stand at the beginning. Another one I had for you is Mike Florio, the football writer slash blogger for NBC. Mark, he was taking, he was taking flack for, I mean, I saw people saying he was all over Aaron Rodgers in his tweets. There were people tweeting, God damn you, Aaron Rodgers for making me agree with Mike Florio. And there were people saying like, (laughs) Mike Florio cares more about Aaron Rodgers than he cares about fill in the blank. Like, you know, just catastrophe. I mean, it's just. It, he was there was a lot of Mike Florio action on Twitter. He was twisting the knife, right? Mm-hmm. Saying like, look, if you don't like the rules, you should retire from football or, you know, talking about Aaron Rodgers, various corporate sponsorships and stuff like that. You know, with just within the bounds of whatever. But you're right. People then got mad at Mike Florio. And to me, that was like a classic sort of inside media thing where Aaron Rodgers is really hard to defend in this case. There's mm-hmm. just no, I mean, he, he just him, even if you just care about football and don't want to talk about his stuff, he is missing football games for his team because of his decisions, or at least partly because of his decisions. So then you're like, what do I do? What, what affirmative action can I take? I got it. I'm going to attack Mike Florio. <laughs> I'm going to be mad at Mike Florio because of the way he phrased things about Aaron Rodgers or the, yeah. or the certain sort of, you know, spin he's putting on the fastball on his tweets. Yeah, it's a little, it's a, it's a little bit of an easier uh, or a more solid place to stand, right? Yeah, it, sol- it solves a problem, right? Like, I want to be on offense here, not on defense. I know, Mike Florio. <laughs> I'm going to be mad at Mike Florio. Let's talk about the rewriting of January 6th and Tucker Carlson, David. But first, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. On Friday, David, at long last, Congress passed Joe Biden's $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. After many weeks and months of delays. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, it actually is infrastructure week. <laughs> sort of an overworked Twitter joke bidding adieu to another overworked Twitter joke. Yeah, that's great stuff. Thanks to Michael Salerno and Ben. Weird story, David, about Virginia's governor-elect Glenn Youngkin. According to the Washington Post, Youngkin's son, quote, at 17, too young to vote, tried to vote twice, officials say. There's an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, tough look for Youngkin's young kin. <laughs> Youngkin's young kin. Thanks to our pal Nick Field. And this week's runaway winner, David, jokes about Aaron Rodgers. Would you like to hear a few of them? Let's do it, man. Uh, some of my favorites. Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't get the Jeopardy gig, but still managed to become a host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Someone oh, called... Someone called him Q Aaron. Yes. Yeah. Big fan of that. Uh, someone reminded us of the Packers losing last year's NFC championship game when their coach elected to kick a field goal rather than putting the ball in Rogers' hands on fourth down. Two straight Packers seasons ruined by Aaron Rodgers not getting a shot. 
<laughs> and to the news that Rodgers both wanted to be traded and is now taking the horse drug ivermectin, Aaron Rodgers should have been a Bronco. Thanks to James <laughs> Fraser, Chad, Greg T, Tom Cooper, Will Bisbee, Brett, Anthony Collette, and Kevin Anderson, if you reminded us of a likely Aaron Rodgers trade destination, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, in the notebook dump, David, you and I recorded a number of podcasts about the siege of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. We even did a true emergency podcast. Yeah. Like national emergency podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Did you and I ever say, can I go find a clip where one of us said, you know what? They'll never be able to rewrite the events of this day. This will be incontrovertibly <laughs> heinous and terrible and a great state in our I, democracy. I, I no one know. will ever even try to reinterpret these events. Yeah, no, no. They, they, that was a thing that was widely said, but I think there were doubts about it even at the time. But, but for the sake of this argument, it did seem like there was a lot of incontrovertible truth that we were discussing that day. It did. And it still does, by the way, because one of the things about January 6th that I think you and I have noted a couple of times is from the days immediately afterwards, when we started to see new video, new camera angles, new evidence of what exactly had happened in the Capitol for such an event that was so frenetic and, and covered in necessarily in such a piecemeal way to things like the Washington Post feature a couple of days ago. If anything, it has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. It has not been evidence like, oh, maybe we misinterpreted this. No, it's actually been, oh, wow, it was even more violent and awful than I thought. Well, here comes Tucker Carlson. He no. has a new documentary. came out last Monday. It's called Patriot Purge. It's not the, that is not the title of a new Jack Ryan novel that was written by one of Tom Clancy's heirs. No, no, that is the name of the Tucker Carlson documentary. He has described Wait, why is it, it like Patriot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please. Because I've read a lot about this and I've been paying attention for a while, but here's what keeps catching me. I'm not the Patriot Purge does not seem to just seem so small compared to what this documentary is seems to be purporting. Doesn't you think it? it's like more of a headline in the Federalist than the name of a sweeping yeah. documentary yes, that wants to more, rewrite it's, American it's a, history? The headline of like a, a letter from the editor at the beginning of the magazine. It's not even like it's just it's too vague and specific at the same time. Like wouldn't it? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't the audience for like the true story of January sixth be way bigger than Patriot Purge? So uh, Tucker Carlson at David Shoemaker, if you want uh, any hints on headlining your next documentary. Yeah. I watched the trailer for this. Go Let's on. just say it will not be confused with the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. <laughs> Starts with the drum roll uh, kind of uh, effect that very similar to the beginning of Oliver Stone's JFK. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, like the military, like, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Is that a drum march. roll? What is that? What no, is yeah, that? but it, but it's part, it's, uh, what's it called? It has a name. Whatever, yes. Whatever it is. It, it starts like that. Then it starts to claim some things, and I think this is where the Patriot Purge part comes in. Talks about how the war on terror has moved from Afghanistan to focus on American citizens. Features a person saying the following, false flags have happened in this country, one of which may have been January 6th. 
intimates that certain people are being put into Guantanamo Bay. I didn't really get the follow the thread there. And you know how when they show cable news in a movie, like they show a clip of cable news and it feels a little too amped up. Like, oh, the movie makers were trying to capture the feel of cable news, but because whether because it was a movie or they just didn't quite get it right, it just felt a little <laughs> too much. And it's always Pat Kiernan as the anchor. Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, except for the Pat Kiernan part, that is what Patriot Purge felt like. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm going to keep getting caught up on tiny things throughout this whole thing, but but false flag is a phrase with a with a definition i'm not saying it's not like speaking a foreign language or something but it is speaking to a very specific audience of of conspiracy theorists and i mean you would it's not if if the if the concept of a false flag needed to be explained for this documentary to exist that's fine you do it in the context of the documentary but you were to use it in the trailer you're it's a it's a loud, loud dog whistle to a really specific crew. People who have perhaps entertained other false flag theories, shall we say, about other events in American life. Yes, this is not the first time they'll be hearing the phrase false flag. That must be the expectation. So as long as we're talking about small things, I'm just sitting here pondering this just even as an idea. And and just think about it. Follow me here for a second, David. The whole... This whole thing starts because Donald Trump and his allies are falsely asserting that he lost the election. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the ones in the rally called stop the steal. Yeah. They have stolen the election from me or they're trying to steal the election from me and we cannot let this happen. That is what Donald Trump was saying. So then these people, there is a siege on the Capitol to try to stop the election from being stolen. Now we're saying, no, 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 that was a false flag. It was not, it was not the people you're saying happened. So wait a second. How do I follow, even follow what's happening here? (laughs) You know, conspiracy charge. Number one, the election is being stolen. Conspiracy charge. Number two, in order to counter the first thing from happening, there was yet another conspiracy carried out by different people. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the same people, I guess, but they're but they're not reacting to something that really happened. Hey, we're just asking questions here, Brian. Right. So to follow this to its logical endpoint, some some shadowy forces, let's call them just let's just say people on the left had stolen the election, and then other lefties went and carried out a siege of the Capitol to frame the righties after after having stolen the election. I guess that's what we're saying here. I don't to know. to discredit their argument which is in fact a true argument in this line of thought <laughs> that is that is where we're going here yes yeah. uh Geraldo rivera david you'll be happy to know has broken with tucker carlson in the new york times i want you to really appreciate the way he says this too uh he's t- talking to michael grinbaum tucker's wonderful he's provocative he's original but man oh man there are some things that you say that are more inflammatory and outrageous and uncorroborated and i worry that and i'm probably going to get in trouble for this but I'm wondering how much is done to provoke rather than illuminate. Geraldo mm. Rivera worried that Tucker Carlson may be trying to provoke rather than illuminate. Messing around with his January 6th stuff, Mr. Rivera added, pausing briefly. The record to me is pretty damn clear that there was a riot that was incited and encouraged and unleashed by Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we could have a segment on Tucker Carlson on the show every week, probably. I mean, there's some new moment of of media and, and public outrage, and justifiably so. Um, he's certainly trying to provoke, 
right? But it's not just, I don't know. I think that there's, there's different levels of provocation. I think that it probably comes as no surprise to anyone, but to say it out loud, uh, I guess, is important. Like this is, I think, his most blatant and certainly most significant entry into intellectual dishonesty as art. You know, then that that in in his in his much storied Fox career, um, there's been a lot of it. But this is the stakes are super high here, and of no matter what you think of Tucker Carlson, I don't think anyone who disagrees with him on this point actually believes that he believes this stuff, right? I mean, there's a certain there's weirdly a certain comfort comfort's not the right word, but there but it's easy. But you know, I think that when it comes to the stuff about his white supremacist mumbo jumbo and like, you know, all the various just totally, totally over the line dog whistles that he does. It might be easier to rationalize if he really, if he was simpatico with that stuff rather than he's just out there being entirely craven, pro, pro, you know, provocative. And like I said, into, intellectually dishonest and, and leading a huge swath of the country around, you know, on a leash with this nonsense, right? It would be it would be a little bit easier to rationalize if he was one of them. But then, it, but when this, I mean, talking about being provocative and dishonest for its own sake, I mean, there, it, this is this is just unfathomable on so many levels. I mean, I agree. Aren't you a little tired of the game of does Tucker Carlson really believe this? We've been playing it since Ann Coulter and probably before, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's been, that's a, been a parlor game. Yeah. That, that's been going on forever. I'm not interested particularly in whether or not he believes it in terms of like issue by issue, except in so much as it's, it's, I mean, cause I think it's all bullshit and it's all, it's all bullshit that he, if he believes that he doesn't care about it deeply. And I think it's all a performance, but it's, but you know, if you needed, if you if you were interested in any more evidence one way or the other, I mean, I I just it's literally impossible that he believes one bit of what's in this documentary. Final interesting note is they're putting this this documentary, this multi part documentary, on Fox Nation, right, rather than on your television on Fox News. Now, there's a couple different theories here, David. Is this one Fox News distancing itself a little bit from the documentary? Or yes. is this NBC forcing you to buy Peacock Premium to watch the Dream Team during the Olympics? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So Tucker's new, newest deal, and I mean, there was an in-depth piece about this that I read that I don't even have a citation for. I think it was NBC News, but who knows? Uh, it was, you know, on my phone. Um, but... Tucker's the you know his current deal includes Fox Nation content, right? They got have him doing three basically like live podcasts or, or video podcasts on there, I think a week, and monthly specials, monthly documentary specials. Which, by the way, I mean, you know, Dateline NBC, I'm sure falls into the category of documentary. But if you're doing one of these a month, you're not exactly you know you're not, not exactly embracing the the art of the form of, of documentary filmmaking. But so a lot of what they're doing is maximizing Tucker's value by having him produce all this content for the app. Um, there's a couple of things going on with that. One, the, you know, the, the app is free and clear of 
cord cutting and everything else. I mean, that's that's sort sure. of the exit strategy for a company that is by and large tethered to cords <laughs> to your cable box more so than just about anybody else, right? Uh, especially a company of its influence. Now, what's really what's interesting is that you know there's all uh, people always have protest. I mean, people always organize. Or, or, uh, advertiser boycotts for this sort of thing, right? I mean, I remember people doing that like crazy during the O'Reilly Factor days and people have done it for MSNBC shows on the other side too. And that's happened to Tucker. A lot of the, you know, big name advertisers have pulled out. But what's interesting now is that the carriage fees that that Fox News gets for being part of every cable package is actually a more significant part of its income now than advertising. So having someone like Tucker who makes you indispensable even for a vanish for an ever shrinking piece of the and it's not shrinking but even if the audience were ever shrinking to have him to have an indispensable person on your network is more valuable than whatever the advertisers you're losing for disrespecting or or offending 90% of America right so and then on top of that those are the those are the people who are going to be most motivated to pay an extra five ninety nine a month for an over the top app that they don't need, right? That they that they or that you know an over the top app that no one particularly seems that interested in, unless you're, you know, a fan of the politics of the Funkasaurus. But it's a it's it's a it's funny because I mean it's an interesting angle because it's a move towards the future for like I said a company that's kind of tethered to the past. But it's doing it, but it's, it's lurching into the future in kind of the most regressive way you could possibly do it, right? <laughs> By just like finding the most diehard dinosaurs, you know, true believers, the, the people that would have been the fringe of the Fox viewership five years ago and just doubling down on them as the people who will, you know, ante up whatever we want. It's basically just like, we're just going to pick the smallest sliver well, it's like deadheads. We're just gonna we're gonna keep putting out the same albums with like you know with slightly remastered versions of it every couple of years, and this and these people will definitely buy it, and it will definitely be worth that worth the expenditure, you know. And it, it's um, it's 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 disappointing, you know. I mean, it's 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 a talk about provocative for its own sake or craven or whatever else. I mean, it's a it's a um. It's a cash grab, and it's regardless of whether or not it's on Fox, it doesn't give you any editorial distance. I mean, it might in their eyes and whatever they want to say, but it's bullshit. They're they're being provocative on the app to get people to subscribe to the app, and they're using the TV. They're going to use Tucker's show to drive people there, and that's all they really care about. You're saying they put the over the top in over the top. <laughs> yes, they're really living up to the buzzwords there. All right, it's time for David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about Colin Powell's wife influencing his decision not to run for president was Alma Matters. <laughs> Today's pun comes from our pal Matthew Felling. It's from the Washington Post. One of the big election stories last Tuesday, David, was the mayor's race in Buffalo. Earlier this year, a socialist candidate beat the sitting Democratic mayor for the Democratic nomination. The Democratic mayor didn't give up. He ran as a write-in candidate mm. and appears to have retained his job last Tuesday. But put all that aside, right, David? The people of Buffalo were deciding between two different kinds of Democrats, okay? Two different kinds of Democrats in the election. I'll spot you the, yes, I'll spot you the, the beginning of the headline, Buffalo Picks, 
What was the Washington Post strain pun headline? Um, huh. Buffalo picks. Dang. What would we call different, different Lefty, areas uh, of the Democratic Party? The center, center left. The uh, more generally the 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 middle the um, the centrist the centrist the liberal. The centrist, what the centrist? Uh, Maybe we can work backward. Buffalo. The, cent- oh, the centrist, like caucus, or the uh, the centrist um, uh, wing. Ooh. Oh, buffalo wings! All right, all right. Here we go. <laughs> buffalo uh, pigs. Buffalo pigs. Uh, what is it? Buffalo pigs centrist wing, or did buffalo pigs? Uh, buffalo uh, picks its favorite wing. Its favorite wing. All right. Buffalo all right. picks its favorite wing. Oh, yeah. All right. That, I should have gotten that one more quickly. But that's a little bit strange. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. Coming this Friday, David, our second Friday press box devoted to a media movie. Oh, yeah. This time it is the 1986 war correspondent movie Salvador, which stars James Woods and James Belushi. And here to talk about it is the director, Oliver Stone. Wow. A fascinating conversation about making a journalism movie, the real-life correspondent who inspired Salvador, and given that it's Oliver Stone, a whole lot more. And then David and I are back next Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. <laughs>